Hello and welcome to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. I am your host, Garrett Ashley Mullet, and uh, welcome to a new season. Uh, I should say this is either going to be the end of one season or the beginning of another, but it's definitely a turning point. Uh, I haven't recorded anything for over a month as far as podcasting goes. I haven't written anything to speak of for quite a while. And it feels uh, wrong. Um, Maybe that was the right choice for a time, just to take a step back, reevaluate, but it's no longer the right choice. And uh, the the break is over, rest is over, now it's time to get back to work. Uh, Today is actually election day here in the U.S., Yesterday was my 32nd birthday, and uh, I don't know how the election's going to turn out. Uh, if you look on Drudge Report, there are a lot of headlines, and uh, there's a lot of hype, and there's a lot of, I think, wishful thinking, and there's a lot of fear, and there's a lot of people just not being sure what to expect. And, uh, you know, I know last time around there was a prediction that Hillary was going to when and then she didn't and this time around who knows god knows uh my prayer is uh, not even so much that republicans win or the democrats lose although i think the responsible choice is clearly to vote republican and it is irresponsible in every way to vote democrat or to allow the democrats to win That is my strongly held opinion. Uh, But even though that's the case, that's not my prayer today, this morning, that the Republicans would win and the Democrats would lose because you could just as soon have Republicans uh, doing nothing good and uh, the Democrats running amok if they lose uh, than if... They win. Uh, so I think the, the better thing to pray would be, generally speaking, that God would bring repentance in our country, in our day, that there would be a willingness to turn from our sins, to confess and to repent, and to believe in Jesus. And I don't say that in a trite way, believe in Jesus, as if... Uh, you know, it's the Disney kind of, uh, you know, faith and pixie dust and you'll just fly away to Neverland sort of a belief. But I mean, like, you hear his teaching, you read his word, and you say, yeah, I'm committed to that. That is true. That is good. You know, believing will lead to a life transformation as God calls and leads and draws those that are distant and far off from him to himself. And then he shows them what the good way is, uh, what life looks like. There is no life outside of Christ. So everything else that we're doing that we think is life that we wouldn't want to give up. Uh, It isn't really, you know, that's like, uh, 
well, this episode of Man, uh, not Man Eater, Meat Eater, this show we've been watching on uh, Netflix. Uh, the episode last night that we had on Stephen Rinella is down in South America, and he's with some indigenous peoples and is hunting and fishing, primarily fishing, really. And uh, they're showing him how they prepare their meals. And one of the things that they have as a staple crop, I didn't know this, but apparently it's the third largest staple crop in the world, is this uh, fruit called cassava. And they have to prepare it in a careful way or else it'll kill you. It actually has uh, gratuitous amounts of arsenic in it. And so if you eat it raw or if you eat it undercooked or unprepared, it will kill you. And so you're just thinking to yourself, and he was questioning the uh, guide who was introducing him to everything and saying, you know, have you ever tried it? just raw he says no well he's like well how do you know it's poisonous he's like because i'm still alive like it's (laughs) you just know you know that it's poisonous and there's so much in life that if we just say hey you know what whatever god is telling me to do i think fun sounds like doing the opposite it's like that you know what kind of an idiot would say oh yeah cassava full of arsenic and it'll kill you if you don't prepare it right yeah i want to try it raw well (laughs) Congratulations, <laughs> you, uh, you're you dead uh, if you follow through with that. And you're just being foolish if uh, you toy around with it and see how close you can get. Uh, but there's so much in life that we are that way about. And uh, I think that's why the scriptures say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you fear God and you keep his commandments, not in a legalistic way, not in a you're going to be made righteous by keeping his commands or that you earn your salvation or that you earn his favor, you earn your ticket to heaven by being good. Uh, But if you fear God and keep his commandments, then life is going to be better. You will have Life, because there's life in what he's asking us to do, because he loves us. It makes sense. It's a complete circuit. It's logically sound. That if God loves us, he created us for a purpose. He wants the best for us. He says, hey, guys, don't do that. That's going to hurt you. Please don't do that. Or, hey, you know what would be really good for you if you did this? You know, God loves us. He wants the best for us. He tells us things to do and to not do. And it's wisdom for us to listen to the creator of the universe and us who knows what's best for us and uh, and tells us what that is. And I think that as a nation, we should pray for revival. And uh, I'm all for us voting and being politically active I've been extremely politically active myself uh, for a number of years. But first and foremost, uh, what ails our country is a condition of the heart. 
and we have half of the country, uh, roughly, that is enamored with the Democrats and is so blinded by uh, Satan, really, is what it comes down to. Uh, the Democratic Party is satanic, and uh, we have half the country that thinks that good is evil and evil is good. And I, I'll stop there for just a second, and I want to mention uh, a disagreement I had one time with a certain, uh, I think he was Shadrach Black. Um, if I'm thinking of someone else as well, there were a couple of gentlemen that remarked on a discussion I was having online, uh, acquaintances of mine, friends of mine. And they objected to me saying the Democratic Party was satanic. Well, the Republicans are just as satanic. Are they? Are they really? How do you uh, justify that statement? You know, their justification is, well, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay. What does that passage not say? It doesn't say that everybody is equally corrupt. Everyone is equally satanic. It doesn't say that. You know, when you have one party that says we, our platform is about promoting and trumpeting uh, every form of sexual perversion and also the murder of innocent unborn children in the millions, that's our platform. Oh, and also controlling your life. When that is the platform of one party, and the other party has good principles, by and large, not perfect, but good, decent, uh, I think at least much more in accordance with God's law, the natural law, and you could demonstrate that point by point if you went down through the list, when those are your choices, Republican and Democrat. <clears throat> and the Republican side <clears throat> has some bad actors, has some people that don't have uh, purity in their personal life or even in their holding to the principles of their party and their platform. That does not add up to, well, it's all the same, isn't it? Now, uh, let's think about World War II. Winston Churchill, <clears throat> Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin. Would it be right for us to look back on those three characters? And let's, let's throw uh, Franklin Roosevelt in. So we'll have four, two on each side. Uh, those four characters, and to say, well, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Churchill had some rough edges. Roosevelt had some rough edges. So he's basically in the same camp as Hitler and Stalin. Would that be justice? Uh, I don't think so. And I don't think it would be prudence or wisdom to say it's all the same if we live in the country ruled by one of them or another. What's the difference? That would be utter folly. But then, you know what? That's how such men as Stalin and Hitler are able to come to power and retain power. 
And we very well could have such men or worse come to power here in America. And if so, God willing, we live and do this or that. Uh, I pray that we do not have such men and that there is still enough courage and intestinal fortitude and wisdom and goodness to object to evil and to call it evil and to have the fear of the Lord in the land. Not the fear of man, not the fear of mobs of angry accusers who don't listen to reason, who don't reason out their accusations. They just make them. They just emote, just aim their emotions in the direction of whatever they want to destroy. Bah, bah. And hope that collectively they can destroy careers, and reputations, and peace, and intimidate anybody they don't like into silence. If we reward that, and we empower that, then every kind of oppression will follow. If, on the other hand, we say, no, there is such a thing as truth and goodness. People should not be able to just make accusations and insinuations and emote and destroy others if they can get more people to side with them. The truth is of the utmost importance. Love is of the utmost importance. Goodness, God's standard of right conduct is of the utmost importance. And God will judge. On the flip side, <clears throat> I think grace for those that are far off, who are distant, the uh, ability to resolve conflict in a healthy, appropriate way and to not either stonewall those we disagree with, uh, not to demonize them, unless, of course, <laughs> what they're doing is demonic, in which case, <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, by all means, call it like it is. As bad or worse is to capitulate and say, you know what, what you're saying is absolutely false and wrong and wicked and unjust, but I'm going to go along with it because I'm afraid and I'm going to call that love. That is arguably as bad as demonizing someone because they disagree with you on a trivial point. And the distinction is how you could know whether it's a trivial point is in simple terms, has God spoken about it and said it should be this way and not that way? Or is it more like pickles on your hamburger? That's the way you can know whether it's trivial. If it's just as well, if you like pickles and I don't for us to both have our way, then what's the big deal? You have your pickles, I'll, I'll not, 
and we can still sit down at the same table and eat. But let's take the two issues that I just mentioned with regards to the Democratic Party. They're not pickles on your hamburger issues. They are thus saith the Lord issues. Abortion, the murder of the unborn, is a huge problem in the Old Testament. And it's part of why God drives out the indigenous peoples that inhabit the land of Canaan so that he can give it to the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The indigenous peoples were offering their children as sacrifices to gods like Moloch. And God said, you will not do that. I will not tolerate that. In fact, I am not tolerating that right now by giving you this land and taking it away from them. And if that is the destiny that we desire as Americans, we can continue on as we have been with abortion. If we want God to take away our country and give it to some other country, some other people, some other race, then just keep on doing what we've been doing since Roe versus Wade. It is an injustice. That is not pickles on your hamburger. I can't sit down at the same table with you if you're choosing to murder the unborn and the innocent, to shed innocent blood. I cannot break bread with you. I will not. That is evil. That is demonic. And so also with the LGBT, normalization and promotion, every form of sexual perversion being called love. And any objection being called hate and bigotry. If God says that sex is for marriage, it's between a man and a woman in marriage, a husband and his wife in marriage, one man and one woman, heterosexual, if he explicitly forbids homosexuality and bestiality, cross-dressing, then you do not have an LGBT pride. You should have LGBT shame. Shame on that. You're disobeying the living God who expressly forbid doing that. And he will not find guiltless those that not only do such things, but those to affirm such things, those who encourage the self-destruction are culpable. Those who are complicit by telling those engaged in such things, good for you. No, not good for you. You know, suppose we had uh, an accident offshore with a tanker full of oil running aground. And there was a crew of people that were supposed to be manning the ship. And there was one guy who had his hands on the wheel and everybody else was looking at instruments and telling him, yeah, 
Keep going. Good for you. You pilot this ship. You steer it. Well done. I'm proud of you. Well, that's all well and good until the ship runs aground and the rocks tear. A giant gash in the side and oil comes pouring out into the waters, poisoning birds and fish, ruining livelihoods, stinking up the place. Well, then that's not love anymore, is it? All that encouragement you gave to that guy to continue on the course, it's not love. All of a sudden, you're complicit. You are guilty. You are part of the problem. If you were looking at the instruments, if you were paying attention, if you saw there was a problem and you said nothing, or you weren't willing to look and see if there was a problem because you were committed to saying nothing, no matter whether there was a problem or wasn't, you have failed. And shame on you. And we have a country full of that. Shame on that. That is to be repented of. It's ungodly. That is an injustice. When we opt for flattery instead of truth, but we call it love. Shame on that. I want to change gears here for a moment and talk about uh, not yesterday. Yesterday was my birthday, and that was fun, and I enjoyed it. But uh, I want to talk about the day before yesterday, actually. And uh, a friend of mine, Chad Cohoon. Chad, if you're listening, hello. You made the cut. <laughs> you made it into an episode. Uh, but... Uh, a friend of mine who, uh, and I'll just give the backstory on how I met him. Uh, Chad works for ConocoPhillips. Uh, he went away for a time and now he's back again. And uh, I used to work for ConocoPhillips. And, uh, oh, I don't know, three, four years ago, we both were attending some training in Dickinson, North Dakota. And, happened to strike up a conversation. I think we had connected on LinkedIn and uh, I was really impressed with his resume and he seemed like a you know really nice guy. And he had seen that I had attended Cedarville University and Cedarville University being a uh, Bible college, uh, a Christ-centric university in Southern Ohio. He recognized right away, oh, you might be a kindred spirit because he had some family and, and friends that had attended there. And so we struck up a conversation on one of the breaks uh, in our training. And we started talking about faith and family and our values and our priorities and our approach to life. And it was just, hey, you know what? Wow. Like we really have a lot in common. And uh, so it didn't really spend a whole lot of time talking after that. Didn't stay in touch real close for a number of years. But uh, I think he sent me a congratulations when I was promoted uh, to being an automation technician. 
here oh, last September. And he said, hey, you're going to really like it. Because he had, by that time, left Conoco and gotten into some INE related work. And he was enjoying it. And he says, yeah, that's a really good. Good move. Good call. And, uh, and God bless you. And, uh, and that was an encouragement to me. And uh, I thought, oh, cool. Well, hey, thanks, Chad. Well, anyway, fast forward uh, several more months, and our automation team was needing to grow. And we had some opportunities to uh, bring on another technician. And it just so happened that the account that we needed to bring on a technician for was one it was a, a producer, production company, that I knew Chad had worked for for a time. Actually, I think he'd worked for them prior to coming to work for ConocoPhillips the first time. And so I thought, hey, you know what? I, I should reach out. I should say, there's this opportunity. Would you be interested? It'd be really great to work with him. He's super qualified. And uh, yeah, it just seemed like it, was, it would just be the perfect fit. So I contacted him. I said, hey, would you have a minute to talk? Uh, you know, I've got something to ask. And I uh, got his phone number, called him, and uh, laid out the idea. I said, hey, there's this opportunity. We've got one guy working on this account, but you have worked for this company before as an employee. And I figured you might have a heads up on the, the issues. You've, you've been in this field. You're familiar with it. You live close to it, I think. And uh, yeah, and you have relevant experience. What would you think of, of coming to work for Zedi? And uh, he was super excited about it. And I think we talked maybe 10 minutes about work. And then the rest of the hour, we talked about faith and family and God and our beliefs and approach to life and you know what's going on in the world and, and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, so anyway, you fast forward. And I, I tried recruiting him to ZI uh, for a number of months and he was on board. He was super excited about it. And uh, it was just that my own organization internally was uh, slow to act. And, uh, you know, without getting into too much of the details, by the time the action was uh, ready internally, uh, besides me <laughs> and my group immediately, uh, it was it was really too late. The window of opportunity had passed for several reasons, which I won't go into here. And, uh, and so it didn't work out for Chad to come and, and join us at Zedi. But uh, we still ended up, you know, talking and, uh, you know, we've had uh, further conversations and, and uh, talked about church and about, faith and about, you know, how is God leading us and what does the future hold for our families and for us? And what is, you know, what, what should we be about? You know, we should be on mission. And what does that look like specifically in our context? What does God want us to do and how is he leading and guiding us? And so I invited uh, Chad and and he had talked about, actually, I think he broached the subject, hey, we should get our families together for lunch or for dinner sometime. I said, oh, well, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Your, your place or ours? Or do you want to meet somewhere in the middle? And uh, at a certain point, he said, well, you know, hey, why don't, you know, I'd love to come visit your church. Well, yeah, why don't you come visit our church? And you can come over for lunch after church. Just everybody can hang out, have a good time. 
So that's what we did on Sunday. And uh, it was really, really great. Uh, you know, good conversation in Sunday school and uh, a good church service. We had a church planter come in from Williston, North Dakota, Joe Campbell. Uh, he is uh, a relatively new pastor, but, uh, you know, he knows Jesus and he's telling people about Jesus. And, uh, yeah, it was good to hear from him. And it was good to hear what uh, the Lord has been doing in Chad's life and uh, get to see his lovely wife and their beautiful children and uh, to just watch everybody mix it up. It was, it was really, really cool. But we had them over for lunch afterwards and uh, just, you know, sat around. My dad uh, came over, invited him after church as well. So Chad and myself and my dad, the three of us sat down, had coffee while uh, my wife and Chad's wife, Nicole, worked on uh, getting lunch ready on the table. The kids milled about, uh, watched some TV, played some Nerf games and some Legos, and uh, just had a good time of it. And, uh, you know, I, I bring all of that up to say that the Christian life really should be very integrated. And that was one of the things we discussed on Sunday. And uh, it ties in with this whole election business. Uh, because one of the things we were discussing was, you know, what, where did America go wrong? Why do we have the problems that we do? I mean, who could have imagined that these would be the things that we fight about and that we're grappling with? You know, like, it's just insane. You know, people going into the wrong gendered bathroom. You know, why is that? Why is that a debate? You know, whether or not to to murder unborn children, why is that a debate for decades? You know, whether to mention God, have any recognition of God, much less the fear of the Lord in our education system for children. Or moreover, why would we be surprised when children act godless and amoral and like animals why would we be surprised when that's the case, when we tell them that there is no God or we don't allow anybody to speak who says that there is a God? What were you expecting to happen? One of the things that we came up with in discussing what went wrong is this idea of secularization. Where we separate, we separate. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, our life into these compartments, and we say this compartment over here, that's work. This one over here, that is my leisure time. This one over here is family. This one over here is my sports compartment. This one over here is church. And we put our faith as Christians into a compartment, and we say, hey. That needs to not touch the other compartments because we live in a secular culture. Nobody else is allowed to integrate their faith into everything else that they're doing without a cost. And so I'm just going to keep my faith separate, keep it on the shelf, 
keep it on in the back pocket just for my own personal reference. Uh, but I don't want it to touch what I'm doing and color it and flavor it. And you have notable exceptions. And, you know, I think in, in the sports world, you have a, a Tim Tebow who, uh, very polarizing. You know, a lot of people loved the heck out of him and still do. And, uh, you know, I think every team he's been a part of his jersey just sells like hotcakes. So there's a lot of people that really like him. There's a lot of commentators and others, a lot of critics can't stand him. And, uh, and that's uh, as well may be, but uh, who cares whether he's adored or whether other people criticize him sharply. It, he's integrating his faith into the way that he plays the game and the way that he builds his career and his attitude towards people and his treatment of people. And in his involvement in important causes, it's not just for the purpose of making himself look good. I don't think, God knows the heart, but I don't think it's for that reason. I think it's because, hey, this is consistent with my faith. I believe that God has called me to do X, Y, and Z, to treat people with love and to be charitable. And so that's what I'm going to do. I have the opportunity. I have the responsibility God is calling me to do this, and I can honor him by loving people in this way. You know, that's great. Uh, what does that look like when you bring that into your workplace? And that's the way that you're handling business. You know, what does that look like when I bring that into my workplace, when I bring that home? And honestly, at a certain point, what does that look like when you bring it into the church? You know, that's the danger we run is we separate life and we dissect it into so many little compartments that it becomes lifeless and our faith becomes lifeless. And then if you try and bring your integrated life into the church, if the church is full of people that have not done that, they haven't integrated their faith into their life, into the way that they treat one another, into the way that they live, into the way that they do work, to the way they do leisure into the way that they talk, into the way that they make decisions. What does that look like? Does it make people uncomfortable in the church? It shouldn't. In fact, in church, that's where you should be encouraged. You go back there every Sunday, every Wednesday, every however often you meet. The early church met daily in one another's homes. But you come together again and you encourage one another and you say, this is a good thing that you integrate your life, that you're honoring the Lord in all your ways, acknowledging him so that he will make your paths straight. That's a good thing. Keep doing that. Even though you're facing persecution, even though there's resistance, even though some are threatened by it, even though some don't know what to think of you because you're odd, you're peculiar. Church is the place where you should walk in and be reminded we are a peculiar people, aren't we? And that's okay. That is as it should be. If we are not peculiar, we're not doing it right. And that is not a call for weirdness for weirdness sake. Although every now and then I enjoy being weird just for weirdness sake. But it is to say 
We should not be afraid of being different. And if we are, then that is a sign that we care more about what others think of us than what God has told us. And that is a dangerous place to be, especially when we consider how irrational and unwise and foolish and godless and malicious people are. All it takes is for some malicious others to tell us, hey, I think what would be best for everybody is for you to jump off that cliff over there. Go do it. Okay, well, I care more about what others think than what God says, so I guess I have to go jump off that cliff. No. No, you don't. Hey, this would be really good for you and really good for your family, but it makes us feel threatened, and we're not prepared to take that leap. And we don't want you making a choice that's good for your family that makes us feel insecure about our own priorities, our own caretaking, fulfillment of our responsibilities. You need to stop that. You need to hide your light under a bushel. Okay. No. No, not okay. Actually, let your light so shine before all men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light so shine. Who lights a candle and hides it under a bushel. That's not what you do with lights. You lift them up high. You know, I think about elk hunting with my friends, J.R. Bagwell and Buck DeBill and Rob Schwab. We just got back from that oh, two weeks ago, something like that, three weeks ago. And one night, so the last night that we were going to be out, and we weren't out the whole week. I wish I'd had more time to be gone and elk hunting. Uh, my one friend who stayed longer did end up getting an elk. But uh, we were out there and we decided just kind of on a whim, why don't we light a fire? Let's build a, a little campsite. and Maybe we could just stay out here all night. And we didn't end up staying out on all night, but we were gearing up too. And the fire was nice anyways. And uh, we were kind of tired after hiking down into this uh, canyon or this valley between mountains and so we started a fire and the sun went down and we warmed ourselves and dried off our clothes that had gotten sweaty from us hiking and it was uh, really really nice just sitting by the fire warming ourselves having conversation looking up at the stars every now and then and uh, at one point uh, J.R. and Buck both heard a growl, a low growl, off in the darkness, not too far from us. What, what was that? I didn't hear it the first time. Second time, myself and Buck both heard it. I looked at him. I said, hey, did you hear that too? Is that just my imagination? No, oh, I heard that too. Hmm. It's a little concerning. You know, and that was part of what contributed to us rethinking uh <laughs> Staying out there all night. But, uh, you know, Rob had a little $8 light, LED light, that he had just purchased from the gas station. And it was close at hand. And, you know, we had a, a wall built around one side of the fire. Uh, we were nestled up against a rock face. And then the, the wall was supposed to kind of keep the, the heat trapped and keep it directed back towards us and help it 
to warm the wall. And then if we were going to sleep there, we would stay warm, even though you know, it was going to be below freezing that night. And a consequence of the wall, it was a fairly good height of wall. I think maybe, I don't know, three feet tall or something like that of rocks from the, the creek bed. Uh, it didn't shine its light far th- very far out into the uh, uh, dark wood. And so it's not like it was helping us to see if there was a creature out there. Uh, because it was reflecting the light as well as the warmth and keeping it close to us. And so Buck and myself, we both had handguns ready. I think he had a, a three fifty seven Magnum, and uh, I had my 1911 six-hour tack pack, uh, forty-five caliber. And uh, both of us chambered rounds, and he took Rob's $8 light that was – a great deal. It was a super deal. $8 for this nifty fold-up bright, bright light. And uh, turned that thing on and held it high. We walked out into the darkness. And we were intent on confronting or discouraging, <clears throat> either way, whatever it was that was growling at us in the darkness. And... Uh, that light, how, what folly would it have been for us to have left it and to have walked out with no light or to have put the light under our shirts? No, we wanted a bright, bright light and we held it high so that we could see as far as possible, be able to see anything that was coming at us as soon as possible. So also with truth, so also with integrating God's word into our lives, into the way that we take care of our families, into the way that we approach work, to the way that we approach our leisure time, being on mission for Jesus, you know, taking up our cross and following him if need be, because we're promised there will be persecution in this life. But we're also promised that in him is Life eternal. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That is an exclusive claim. It bears examination. The stakes are high. If, if Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of the living God, the Son of the God who made the heavens and the earth and you and I in his image, If Jesus is the way to the Father, then who cares what other people are doing in terms of us second-guessing ourselves? It's a moot point if everybody else is doing it some other way. What's important is that we have the genuine article. Now, on the other hand, if there is no resurrection of the dead, as Paul writes, we are above all men to be most pitied because we're waiting for something that isn't going to happen. But Christ is risen, and those who are in him will be as well. 
And so we should be about our Father's business. We should be living on mission. We should let our light so shine. We should integrate our faith into our lives. And if we had a nation full of people doing that, to where we were living the Christian life, that would be far more impactful than whatever comes out of this election. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying <clears throat> it doesn't matter if we vote. I'm not saying it's inconsequential. I'm not saying we shouldn't be politically involved. I'm not marginalizing that. I'm not de-spiritualizing the battle that's going on for the soul of our country right now. It's an intensely spiritual battle. But I will say, if we lose this election to the Democrats, and if they run away with everything and drive us off of a cliff, it does not mean we are hopeless. That may well happen, but God is still sovereign. We are still secure in him if we are indeed in him. I think also, if the election goes one way or the other, either way, we still need to be living on mission. We still need to integrate our faith into our lives and abandon this lie of secularization. It is demonic. There won't be a spiritual vacuum because something else will come in to fill it. What will that something else be? Anything. You know, I want to change gears again here. And I want to talk about my last week with Zedai. And I put in my two weeks notice uh, a week ago yesterday. I had uh, another company... It was actually a customer of ours decided that they wanted to take their measurement uh, activities, uh, calibrating the meters, take that in-house. And instead of uh, hiring ZI to do it any further, any longer. And uh, there's a part of me that feels, uh, what's the word? Conflicted, maybe. Uh, you know, was I being, um, oh, I don't know. Was I betraying my employer to go and take this opportunity? It was offered to me and, uh, and uh, in the process, see them losing business that they had been bringing in revenue from. Uh, but, you know, I don't feel in the, the uh, final verdict that I am betraying anyone, uh, and I'm certainly not sabotaging the employer who is paying me for my work and my attention this week and last as I'm leaving. And uh, one of the things that I committed to a long time ago as I encountered unfair treatment, um, misbehavior, 
improper uh, words and actions, unethical activities in the workplace was for me to keep my standards high and to act and to work in such a way that whenever I left, if I left uh, earlier than I would have liked due to those things, uh, for whatever reason, I would leave with a good conscience and leave knowing that I had done my work well and uh, performed to the utmost of my abilities in, in every respect, you know, not just whatever my narrow little compartment was, whatever my little task that I'd been given was, but thinking holistically, right? Integrating my faith, uh, wanting to have a good testimony, wanting to honor God by the way that I did my work. You know, something Paul writes to Timothy at one point is to study to show yourselves approved workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, rightly dividing it, understanding it, being able to process it, break it down into bite-sized pieces, chew on it and swallow and digest and derive strength from the truth. And uh, so last week and this week, <clears throat> my effort is to leave things in a good state and uh, whatever it is that those who come after me do with those things, I want them to feel that they uh, have been set up for success. And uh, not that I said, well, I no longer have a stake in this. Uh, so long. Good luck. You know, screw you guys. <laughs> You're on your own. Uh, but rather, you know, anything that I was doing, that it's in a good state and that uh, I can look back with a clear conscience and with a good testimony. If someone finds out that I'm a Christian and they didn't know it, I want them to say, you know what, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, I would have guessed. I, I figured as much. Uh, and not in a Ned Flanders sort of a way, not in a, uh, you know, uh, trite or um, self-righteous sort of a way, God forbid, but in a humble, sincere, uh, dedicated, let your light so shine before all men that they might see your good works, glorify your father in heaven sort of a way. That is what my goal is. And uh, I, I pray God will give me grace this week as I'm trying to leave on a good note. And uh, I pray also, you know, next week I start my new job as a technician with Newfield. And uh, I'm excited about it. I've got uh, friends and coworkers I've uh, worked with before that I'll be working with again. And uh, they have been a customer of mine. Newfield has actually my first nine, 10 months working with ZI. I was on the Newfield account, not just, but, but also by and large was on the Newfield account uh, doing TVP testing and uh, some measurement activities for them, witnessing calibrations by the midstream company with uh, one Oak that buys gas from them. And uh, so I have some familiarity with them. It'll be a little bit like going uh, back to uh, a former employer a little bit, but it'll be different because now I'll be in-house instead of a contractor uh, the way that I was before. 
or I should say, let me let me rephrase that. I'll, I'll still be a contractor in a manner of speaking, but uh, there's different ways that companies organize uh, contract labor. One way is to hire a company that uh, takes care of all of the the details. You know, in, in case of uh, ZI, you know, we might work as technicians for a dozen companies, and I did. I, I worked for, I'm sure, at least a dozen companies over my past two years. And you're not dedicated to any single one. Well, that can create issues where uh, individual companies say, "Hey, wait a second, why are we not getting all of your attention? You know, and you guys aren't really set up just to take care of us." Uh, your your attention is divided. We don't like that. Well, that's essentially what happened, uh, but not just that. And uh, and so there's an arrangement that I you know, I actually had this when I worked for ConocoPhillips initially, where I was hired by Wood Group Pack uh, to work exclusively on the ConocoPhillips account, or put another way, I was hired by ConocoPhillips through wood group pack so i was almost like a temp you could say uh with everybody both at wood group pack and at conoco phillips and myself uh, understanding that the the goal was for that to turn into uh full-time direct employment but uh these companies they like to try you out in your position in your role prior to committing what's wrong that's not what you want there i'm integrating my life i didn't pause and break up my recording that time it was my son enoch objecting to his brother's uh choice of what to watch on netflix uh but anyway long story short Whoever it is that I'm working for, Super Wings. Hey guys, can you turn on Super Wings for him? Just one episode. He'd be so happy. Ah, uh, anyway. So, whoever it is that I work for, whoever it is that's signing my check, I should say. You know, if I'm working for ConocoPhillips, but Wood Group Pack is actually signing my check. If I'm working for Newfield, but uh, Island Operating is actually signing my check. You know, I want to compare that to the Christian life. And to say, uh, whoever it is that's signing our check, we ultimately need to be working for God. Because it ultimately all belongs to Yahweh God. If it belongs to him, and if we're working in such a way that's going to please him, uh, that is the most important thing. And we don't work to earn uh, salvation or God's grace. God's grace is freely given. You know, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, God is the one who's reached out to make things right again to restore us to him but we are commanded 
to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. We are commanded to live not as the world around us lives, wickedly, dishonestly, lying, perjuring, slandering, abusing, only caring about ourselves. We are called to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength, with all our soul, and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. In humility, to consider one another as more important than ourselves. That's what we're called to. And ultimately, whether everybody acknowledges it right now, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In that moment, it will be no secularism, no compartments for, well, this, you can bring your faith, that over there, you have to leave it at home. There won't be any of that. And so there shouldn't be right now. In any event, that's all for today. I'm going to wrap up this episode. I thank you for listening. If you've listened this far, uh, if you're listening after the election, you know how the results turned out. I don't yet as I'm finishing this recording. But in any event, whichever way they go, we should continue to pray that the Lord would bring revival in the United States of America and that it would begin in us, that we would be found faithful, righteous in our generation, blameless because we are in Jesus because we are walking and we've committed ourselves by his grace to following Jesus, to being like Jesus, to loving God with everything in us, every part of us, every part of our being, every fiber of our being, and loving one another as we love ourselves. I thank you for listening. May God bless you. We'll see you soon.